it's really, really good to see you all here today. Thank you for, for coming out to be with us in, in Dundonald Elam. You'll have to excuse my throat a little bit today. I've had something working on me in my chest and throat all week, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to make out what uh, I'm trying to say today okay. What we're going to do today is continue on the series that we've been doing over the last number of months, God Is, by thinking about the subject of grace. And that's the the word that has continually come up in our our worship today, grace. Psalm 145 verse 8 says this, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious and kind, slow to anger and abounding, rich in love. The Lord is gracious. What What a magnificent word and a glorious truth grace is. Apart from grace, we cannot know God. Apart from grace, we cannot understand God. And apart from grace, we cannot relate to God. And a proper understanding of it is absolutely essential for us if we are to live in the freedom God wants us to live in. The older I get, the more amazed with grace I become. And I don't say that because there's a nice song with those words in it or to sound pious in any way. I actually say it because as I see the some mass of sin build in my life, I become more and more amazed that God loves and puts up with me. And His grace is sufficient, but yet it is. And it is for all of us, it is amazing grace. And I know there'll be people here today who are are struggling because of guilt, guilt relating to sin. And I want to share a short thought with you before going into the main talk to bring you encouragement. And it comes from Ephesians chapter one, verse four, which says this, for God chose us in him, in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now that is incredible. God is eternal. He knows the end from the beginning. And before he had even created this world, in an eternity past, he knew the things that you might be thinking about today that are making you feel guilty. And it didn't change how he felt about you. In fact, in an eternity past, he knew about all the stuff all of us will feel guilty about in the future. And it didn't change how he felt about us. He still called us. He still chose us. He still sent his son to die on a cross for us. There's nothing in your life or my life that God is surprised by. There's nothing that we do in our lives that brings him to the edge of his throne to think, I didn't know anything about that. Nothing. And therefore, there's nothing in our lives that God can't deal with or can't forgive. And last Sunday night, Malcolm brilliantly spoke about how in Jesus there is always a fresh start and that's absolutely true with him. There's always a fresh start and I wanted to share that for anybody struggling today to encourage you to listen because there's more encouragement for you in this talk. The Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. We'll see that in words like charismata or charismatic. And it's used over 150 times 
in the New Testament, but it is not a New Testament concept. Grace permeates through all of Scripture. Let me give you a few definitions. The more Reformed tradition would say that grace is the unmerited favour of God or the favour of God that you and I don't deserve. Philip Yancey, uh, who wrote the book What's So Amazing About Grace, which actually revolutionised the way I think about grace, defines it this way. Grace means there is nothing we can do in our lives to make God love us anymore. And there's nothing we can do in our lives to make God love us any less. And his book brilliantly unpacks that. <clears throat> Somebody came up with a little acronym of the letters from the words, word grace, which says, God's riches at Christ's expense. I've come up with a little definition. It's not anywhere near as profound as the other ones. But grace for me is Jesus. Jesus, who is everything we need. Because when I think of grace, I think of Jesus. I think of his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and how through him I have freely received everything I do not deserve. I've received everything I need through him. Grace is Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, Christ came to us full of grace and full of truth. He is a full package. He's everything that we need in life and he's everything that we need, obviously, in salvation. So no matter how we feel today, in Jesus there is this tidal wave of grace to meet us exactly where we are at. Here's the first point today. We can only become a Christian by receiving God's grace. We can only become a Christian by receiving God's grace. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, but by virtue of the fact you're here, maybe shows that you're on a a journey with God. Please hear this. You can only become a Christian by receiving God's grace, by receiving Jesus, who is everything you need. Here's an incredible truth. Grace comes freely to people who don't deserve it. It comes freely to people who don't deserve it. I am one of those people. Here's another amazing truth. Only sinners appreciate grace. Only sinners appreciate grace. Grace will never meet the need of those who go through life blissfully unaware of their sin. It only touches the hearts of those who know their condition before God and cry out to him for help. Only sinners appreciate grace. I appreciate it a lot. In fact, it's the awareness of our sin, not our purity, that opens the door for grace to break into our lives. It's the awareness of sin, not our purity, that opens the door for God's grace to break in. So if you're here today and you're acutely aware of sin or failure in your life, you're not only in great company, but you're actually close to the place where you can find freedom. We can only become a Christian by receiving God's grace. However, many people think that becoming a Christian has got something to do with us, that if we try our best, that is what will be enough. If we attend church, if we do our charity work and so on, And do you know what? I sort of understand why people think their best will be enough. Because that line, do your best, is bred into us in every part of life, isn't it? When we go to school, we're told, do your best. Uh, 
if we want to get on to the football or, or hockey team, we're told, do your best. If we want to climb the career ladder, we're told, do your best. So I can understand why many people think, well, well God's no different. Do your best and you'll be okay. But God is different. And the bottom line is our best will never be enough. And there might be someone here today and you're trying so hard. You're trying so hard to please God, to do your best because you think that's what's going to get you into heaven. And if Jesus was here in person, he would lovingly say this to you, your best is not enough. But actually, all you need to do today, this morning, is cry help. Your best isn't enough. But actually, all you need to do this morning is just cry help. The Bible says our best efforts are not what do it. It says our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. Whilst they're good to do, they're not enough. They're still stained with sin. They don't deal with the core problem. Doing our best doesn't get us into heaven. And I'm thankful for that. Because how do we ever know if we've done enough? Christianity is different from all other religions because of grace. Because of grace. Salvation is nothing to do with what we can do for God. It's all about what he can do for us. We only become a Christian by receiving God's grace. And this grace is not something, please hear me, it's not something we achieve or earn. It's free. The thief on the cross who died beside Jesus is a remarkable picture of how that's true. Because that thief, if you think about it, he didn't get to go to church. He didn't get to read his Bible. He didn't get to right all the wrongs in his life. He just cried, help. And he freely found grace. So the first point directed to non-Christians is we only become a Christian by freely receiving Jesus who's everything we need. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, the Bible says, it's a gift of God, not by our works. A.W. Tozer famously said, you can't put a plus sign beside the cross. That's true. No amount of activity on our part, even religious activity cuts it. We're purely dependent today on the cross. It's a free gift. Max Licato, an author who inspires me a lot, said this, if our greatest need was for information, Jesus would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, he sent a savior. And I go, amen to that. It's absolutely right. It's absolutely true. It's brilliant. And thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. And maybe there's someone here today and you've been struggling and you're not yet a Christian, but you know now what you need to do. And maybe in the light of all consuming grace, you want to cry, help. Second is, as Christians, we need to live by grace. <clears throat> we need to live by grace. I said earlier, grace is everything we need in salvation, but it's also everything we need in life. It's not just for when we become a Christian. We need God's grace every minute of every day. And it frees us from sin as, 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 and, and, and failure as Christians and strengthens us for service. Now here's a mind-blowing truth. It is still a grace we cannot earn. 
and it's still a grace. We can't do something to get. It's still completely free. But I want to ask today, I want to ask this question. We mentioned about how non-Christians are, are, are wrong in the way that they think they need to do something to earn God's favour. Why are we just so as wrong in the church? Why are we just as wrong in the church in our thinking? Because often we feel we have to earn God's favour through what we do and through how we live our lives and even by trying our best. We do this for God, we do that for God, which isn't bad, but sometimes our motivation is that we think by doing lots of stuff for God, we can earn extra brownie points or we can get more of his favour in our lives. No, no. We cannot earn more of God's favour. And do you know why? Because we've already got all of it. We can't earn more of God's favour because we've already got all of it. Yancey says there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more. Our significance before God is never found in what we do. It's always found in who we are. You see, if we were to strip away all our best efforts for God, Strip them all away, we would still find that we are his children. But why is it then, as Christians, we bind ourselves with this desire to earn God's favour when we already have it? And this is important because this stuff can bring freedom into our relationship with God. The answer is found in the fact that we live in a world that's obsessed with doing to be accepted. The world sets up these ideals as to uh, what we should look like, what we should be, what we should achieve in life. And then what we do is we enslave ourselves trying to live up to those expectations. Why? To be accepted. To be accepted. And often what happens is we end up becoming something that we're not because we feel the world will not accept the real us. It's a horrible place to be. Many people are afraid God will not accept them the way they are. And that mindset of doing to be accepted creeps into the church because what we do is we try to gain acceptance with God and each other through what we do and rob ourselves of freedom because what we do is we set up these ideals or sometimes church sets up these ideals as to where we should be in God, what we should be accomplishing God. Sometimes we need that challenge, but then often what happens is we enslave ourselves trying to live up to those expectations and sometimes becoming something that we're not, trying to appear not to be vulnerable in the process. God forbid we should ever appear vulnerable in church. God forbid that we should ever feel that we can't come into church and have to put on a smile that says everything all right when the heart and behind it's breaking. God forbid that we should ever be. A, that's the mindset, isn't it? And it's all done in an attempt to earn God's favor and that of each other. How many things do we do in church and it's for the benefit of other people because we feel folks, some people wouldn't think I'm spiritual enough if I didn't come out to that midweek meeting. Friend, no, because the people who are here don't understand the week that you've maybe gone through and how you've maybe haven't spent weeks of time with your family and that's the priority in that night. But we feel we have to do these things, we have to be at every meeting, we have to be involved in this and the inner motivation of it is to be accepted by other people because we don't want people to think that we're less spiritual. We're obsessed with doing to be accepted by God and others. Friends, 
Hear this one. Grace is the greatest gift of all because it freely accepts us the way we are today. Whether we feel the dirtiest sinner in the world or the most perfect saint, as a Christian, God accepts us all. Whether we read our Bibles five times a day or haven't read it in five years, as a Christian, we're all accepted by God. The reality and the power of his grace has got nothing, zero zilcho, to do with our performance. God accepts us the way we are. He doesn't relate to us on the basis of our performance and what we do. He relates to us on the basis of grace and we come to him today with no pretense. He knows exactly what we're like. We're sinners saved by his grace. So here's a key to freedom. Can we learn to be accepted by God and others not by doing but by being? Just being ourselves and finding freedom in that. Yes, we should be actively involved in church, but not to gain the favour we already have or not because we feel guilty or what will other people do or think of me. Nonsense. We should be busy in church because we are grateful for what God has done for us. We are so in awe of what he has done for us that we want to give him our lives. That's a tremendously freeing focus. The other is a binding focus. But when, when we want to serve God because we're grateful and we're inspired by his grace, that is what frees us. Our faith starts with grace and should continue in grace and not become something where works define our relationship with God. So secondly, freedom is found when we live by grace. Thirdly, grace not only opens the door to freedom, but it also opens the door to license. Grace not only opens the door to freedom, but it also opens the door to license. Yancey said this, there's nothing we can do in our lives to make God love us any less. In other words, the jaw-dropping scandal of grace is this, you or I could live in sin and God's grace would still be sufficient. Now, you will react to that statement in one of, assuming you're still listening, you'll react to that statement in one of three ways. Firstly, we might agree with it. Secondly, we might say, no way, as we start to think about a Christian whose lifestyle is anything but. Or thirdly, we might think, happy days, I'm just going to live whatever way I want then. If our reaction is to judgmentally think of others who are failing as Christians, please remember the prodigal son's older brother. He was the guy who could not accept the grace shown by his father. He couldn't accept it, and we should never have a similar attitude. Yes, we need to challenge sin, but we should always do it in the mindset that every single one of us should be an abomination in the sight of God, but because of his grace, we're his pride and we're his joy. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Also, the reaction of, I'm going to live whatever way I want then if God's grace is sufficient. And to that statement, there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. I want to say it's just as wrong as the focus is the judgmental Christian. Because when our passion is Jesus, our passion for him will be greater than our passion for sin. We will not want to sin. You see, God's grace inspires and it changes the way in which we think. We will want to live for God. Romans chapter one, verse five says that we have received grace for obedience. 
We've received grace for obedience. In other words, grace inspires and it produces within us this desire to want to live for God. When we become born again, our attitude towards sin changes. We don't want to do it, we do. But we don't want to sin. And Paul outlined that struggle. He said, the things I, I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. And we all get that. And we all understand it. Yes, we sin as Christians, but grace changes our attitudes so that we don't want to. Grace compels and inspires us to want to live for God. If we've truly grasped grace, we will spend our lives trying to fathom and be inspired by it, not exploit it. If we have truly grasped grace, we will spend our lives trying to fathom and be inspired by it and not exploit it. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live righteously. Grace teaches and inspires us to want to live for God. Grace users have not truly fathomed grace. They don't value that sin cost Jesus dearly. They don't value that God gave up his son before he would give up on us. Does God love a grace abuser less than he loves those who want to go on and live for him? No, and that's the scandal of grace. However, Romans chapter six, verse one says this, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? It's emphatically answered, no, exclamation mark. No, because when we've been touched and freed by grace, we will want to live for God. Maybe you're here today and you feel that you have abused grace. The reality is we all have. But if you feel trapped today in a pit of sin, God's grace is sufficient for you. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says this, where grace increases in our lives, or, or sorry, where sin increases in our lives, grace increases all the more. In fact, that illustration's wrong that I'm doing with my hands because grace always has a negative pulling down effect, doesn't it? So when grace increases in our lives, or sin increases in our lives, grace increases all the more. So there's no failure in your life or my life that God can't deal with. Why would Jesus go to a cross and go through hell on that cross for you and for me if there's something in your life or mine that we could not deal with? In fact, if you look at that, the deeper the pit, the more hope and the more grace there is. There's nothing he can't do for you today. There's nowhere he can't reach into and just touch you with his lovely, lovely grace. It reaches us where we're at and it lifts us to where God wants us to be. And I really pray that this thought around grace will motivate all of us to want to go and live for him, not to gain the favor we already have, but because we're inspired by it and we're thankful for it. And finally, you're, you're listening well. I know it's been a, a long service this morning. Finally, let's be grace revealers. Let's be grace revealers. See, when God's grace works in us, it should also work through us. To touch the, the people that we meet this week as we give to them what they don't deserve. Jesus is everything that they need. When a, a composer writes a song, it'll have a melody. But he'll add to that song what are called grace notes. Notes that add something different and something special to that 
particular song. Our lives should be the same. That's what God's grace should do for us. It should add something. It should make our lives different and special in the way in which they speak of God. I'm told that a vet can tell much about a dog's owner they've never met just by looking at their dog. (laughs) That brings a challenge. Not just the dog owners, but to all of us, because how much can the people we meet know of God just by looking at our lives? How much can the people we meet know about God just by looking at our lives and the way we live? Bottom line here, everyone, come on, let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable with each other. Bottom line is every single one of us here today will know of situations where we need to reveal more grace. Situations at home, situations maybe the person we came to church with today that we need to say sorry to, situations where we need to... uh, in our friendship circles where we need to reveal more grace, situations where we need to learn to forgive, to say sorry, even if the problem isn't with us because that's the essence of grace, isn't it? It's giving what's not deserved. Where we can say sorry and where we can forgive where we feel it's not needed. There may be people who are sitting in other churches this morning and we need an outpouring of grace to forgive, to forgive. Chuck Swindle says, talks about God's vertical grace to us, but he also challenges us about horizontal grace. (laughs) That what we've received vertically, we need to work out horizontally in terms of our relationships and the way in which we reveal Jesus as we add grace notes to the melody of our lives. Let me sum up. We can only become a Christian by receiving God's grace. Jesus is everything we need. Maybe you've not done this, but in the light of what we're thinking about today, you want to cry help, or maybe what Alan was sharing around the table, you're challenged and you want to give your life to Jesus, please come. You'll not be met with any judgmentalism. I'm too aware of the junk in my life to point the finger at anyone. Please come and talk to us if you want to cry help today.